Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, If some of you were around at CVL over the last couple years, I think it might have been two years ago, we took a field trip to see the Dead Sea Scrolls down in Denver. So some of you maybe remember that. Um, it, it was a fascinating trip. If you've ever had a chance, if they ever come back, by the way, go down and, and, and see them. It's, a, it's just a fascinating view of some of the oldest uh, Hebrew manuscripts of the Old Testament that our world has today. And as you can expect, if you go see the Dead Sea Scrolls, when you go down, when we went down, the, the center of attention, the thing that you go to see is the actual scrolls, right? Which, if you've ever seen them, scrolls is maybe not the best term for it. It's usually, fragments is probably a better term for these things. So they're fragments of Hebrew text of the Old Testament, right? And so um, as you go down there, those are the things that are behind the glass. Those are the things that, that you have to kind of wait in line and you, you, you kind of get up on them. And at least down in Denver, it was a, it was a circular thing. And so you'd kind of get yourself in line and you just move slowly to the right, all the way around, until you get to see all of these scrolls. Um, but there was one part that I, at least, I'll, let me say this, there was one part of that exhibit that I didn't pay as much attention to, and I probably should have. In fact, thinking back, I'm not even sure if it was part of the exhibit. It had to have been. But the actual jars that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in are actually on display as well. But how many of you would go to see jars? Probably not so many, right? How many of you, some of you that went, do you even remember that there were jars on display? So some of you, good. Good for you, right? Yeah. Um, Maybe some of you remember the story about the Dead Sea Scrolls. They told kind of a story, which I think we got to take with a little bit of a grain of salt. But uh, supposedly the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were in caves um, outside uh, of Jerusalem and Qumran, um, and supposedly a shepherd boy was out and, and taking care of his goats and things like that. And he was kind of playing around and he, and he threw some rocks up into a cave. And what did he hear when he threw the rocks into the cave? He heard something crashing, right? Now, it seems like an awful convenient, cute story for the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. It might be true. Um, But that's the story that goes along with it. They threw rocks up into the cave and it hit some jars of clay. They heard something break and instantly their ears tuned to it because they said if there is something man-made up there, if there's something in ceramic jars, then someone must have cared for it. Maybe there was treasure. Maybe there was something of value up there. Hence, supposedly how they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Scrolls. But I think that's a pretty good reminder of us and what our text is talking about today. That idea that precious things can be stored away 
in very fragile vessels. It's really fascinating about our text today, and you're probably wondering why I have the theme Genezot. Um, it's a little bit broader look at what was happening around the time of Paul and how uh, people that have come before us have tucked away or saved things that were precious to them. So now these uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were in clay jars in the cave. And the Dead Sea Scrolls in that location is actually one of two of the most famous Genezot. Now, Genezot is a Hebrew word which means literally hidden things or hidden places. So uh, um, an equivalent of Genezot at your house might be like your attic or your basement, right? So that's kind of the idea. So throughout Hebrew culture, throughout Israelite culture, um, most synagogues and even today have places that are designated Genezot or a hidden place for hidden things. Dead Sea Scrolls is generally assumed to be one of those. The second one is called the Cairo Genezot. And in those locations, we have found um, some of the richest, greatest history of Jewish life and, in the, in the case of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest Hebrew documents of the Old Testament that our world has ever seen. Okay, so why did they tuck them away in these Genezot? Here's the really fascinating reason why they did that. The Old Testament Israelite people revered their sacred text. Okay? So the Old Testament text, the papyrus that they wrote them on, um, the, those very words were, were so precious to them that they wanted to preserve them. And even one step further, they were so precious to them that they would only dispose of them in certain ways. A modern equivalent is getting rid of an American flag, right? Some of you maybe have American flags at your house. They've flown for a long time. They start getting ratty, start falling apart, right? There are, there are um, appropriate ways for us to get rid of American flags. I think American legions um, oftentimes have, have flag burnings um, and, and kind of dispose of them in an appropriate way. Well, the Old Testament Israelite people did the very same thing for their papyrus and their sacred texts. And here's the reason why. They felt that if anything where God's name was printed on or written on, and if you didn't dispose of it in an appropriate way, you may be in danger of sinning or blaspheming against the name of our God above. And so throughout history, Jews in synagogues would create Genezot. It was the old worn out papyrus. It was the, the words of the Bible things that were incredibly precious to them, but were not, no longer useful in, in, in public synagogue worship. So they would put them in clay jars and they would tuck them away. I think it serves as kind of an interesting illustration because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul calls you in our text today. He calls you a clay jar. A clay jar that contains something that is incredibly Precious. Now, what adds to the kind of the historical um, in, uh, interest, at least of our text here today, um, Paul was writing this letter in 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. You know the dates for the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Cairo Genezot date predate Paul and his letter that he's writing today, and actually had documents that go far beyond all the way into the Middle Ages. 
And so as we're reading through this text today, and as we may sit and the kids giggle a little bit when I call them jars of clay, and when we as uh, modern Americans hear that terminology of Paul calling us jars of clay, this wasn't just a random illustration that Paul pulled out of the air. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul would have been involved in formal synagogue life. Paul absolutely would have known of Genezote. He absolutely would have known that you store the precious word of God in jars of clay. And so when he calls us that here today, it's an illustration that he is pulling from the everyday life around him. But here's the real beautiful thing. It's just as applicable for you and I in our lives and in our, in our Christian lives here today. And so that's going to be our theme today. Um, Genezote, a.k.a. jars of clay. Um, and we're going to see really how Paul not only reminds us of what we are, but he also gives us our marching orders and our purpose as believers in this world. So we're going to jump into our text. You're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Um, I'm going to start with our very first verse of verse 6. Um, and we're going to look at kind of three different themes today uh, underneath that heading of Genezot. Uh, we want to talk about how God brings light from darkness. Number two, how God puts treasure in jars of clay. And number three, how ultimately life is revealed through Christ and through you. So that's kind of where we're going to, where we're going to head in our text here today. Um, so let me begin with, with verse 6. Paul says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now understand a little bit what Paul is, is no pun intended, bringing to light in our text. He's preaching to, he's writing to the Christian church in the city of Corinth. And um, on paper, Corinth probably would have been a, uh, looked at least on paper as a good place to plant a church a good place to, to let the gospel spread. Uh, Corinth was, was on the middle of trade routes back and forth. Co- Corinth was a major urban setting. Corinth was very cosmopolitan, right? So it just had people from every place within the Mediterranean. And so if you're thinking of, okay, where can we plant Christianity? Where can we share Christ with the known world? As I said, on paper, Corinth might have been a good choice. And so a church is planted there, right? Um, Christians are there and they share their faith there. But, and this is a little bit what Paul is alluding to when he says light shines in darkness. Corinth wasn't just, um, just readily accepting and, and looking forward to Christianity and the message that came there. So Corinth on paper, we may have said, okay, lots of people from all over the nation. This is a good place to plant a church. But spiritually, uh, um, morally, city of Corinth was, was off the map. Uh, one of the biggest things that Corinth was known for um, was its, its sexual promiscuity. And in fact, it had gone so far, there, this concept of sexuality had moved so far that it was now incorporated into formal temple worship. And so um, Corinth was known and was famous for the temple of Aphrodite. Okay? Temple of Aphrodite was a place where you could go and you could give offerings to Aphrodite in hopes that it would make the land more fertile. And what would you also find at the Temple of Aphrodite? Temple prostitution as well. And so Corinth, um, in some sense, we'd say, okay, this is a place where Christ and the gospel message could take root. 
But Paul also is giving insight into the, the spiritual heart condition of the people in the city of Corinth. And he actually doesn't beat around the bush on that. He says, light shined in darkness. And the implication from Paul to the people in Corinth was, you're the darkness. But I don't know that that's any different than us. Right? Our sin may look different, right? Our communities may look different or maybe the same. And yet, that darkness remains. You want to know how I know that? Not because the culture out there is so terrible and and now you're going to hear your pastor rail about all the things that are happening out there. The reason that I know that this darkness exists is because it exists in my heart. Because it's in, it's in us. Because it's in our sinfulness. The times that we react in anger. The times that we hold grudges. The times that, that we go against what God says is good and right. And rather choose our own path. The times that we run from God rather than to him. And so when Paul talks about darkness, well, he's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about sin. That's probably the most important part of our sermon. In fact, if you get nothing else out of this, that's the most important part. Paul says, Christ shined light into that darkness, into us. How did he do that? Through his sacrificial death on the cross. Through laying down his life on our behalf. And, and just like uh, walking around in the darkness, some of you maybe are from Firestone or last night we lost power at our house. I don't know if other people in Firestone did. Um, but then all of a sudden there was all kinds of excitement from Tatum and stuff. Um, and then we realized, wait, it's really, really dark. So what do you got? You got to find light, right? You stumble around for a while until you find light. Paul is saying the very same thing is true of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. We stumble around until that light found us in Christ and changes our hearts from darkness to light. That's what Paul is putting before the people in Corinth and what he puts before us as well. Through no work of our own, through no efforts of our own, through not through our cleverness or our intellectuality or, or our moral uprightness, through none of that, Christ came to us. His light shined in our hearts. Our sins are forgiven washed clean because of his sacrificial death on the cross on our behalf. So when Paul talks about light in the darkness, he absolutely is serious about the darkness and he's even more serious about the light, which is Christ, our Savior. Okay? So that's the first point when Paul talks about these hidden things, these things that we have to share. Number one, and first and foremost, it's the light of Christ. But he goes on, talks about treasure and jars of clay in verse seven. Paul says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so there he is. He calls us jars of clay. Now, here's a really fascinating thing. I had a professor in, at the seminary who was uh, not just a, um, a biblical scholar, but he was also an archaeologist. And so he had done archaeological digs over in Israel. And he said the, the not-so-secret thing about archaeology is that most of the time, what you're digging up, these treasures that you're pulling up are from the trash heaps of the towns and the cities that came before us. So you know that, right? So he said 10% of what people have, only 10% of that survives, right? And then 
the 10% that survives probably is what was thrown out in the local dump, right? And then if they're lucky, if you're lucky as an archeologist, you're able to find some of these things. What would someone be able to tell about you if they dug through your garbage, right? Right, what, what would they find? It'd be kind of fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah, right? It'd be kind of fascinating. So, and, and, and on some level, maybe when we think about it in those terms, okay, the stuff we cast aside probably actually paints a pretty good picture of daily life in, for us, right? Well, in large part, that's what archaeology is. You want to know what the vast majority of things they find in archaeology are? Broken jars. Yeah, someone busts a handle off their jar, pitch it out. Right? So the vast majority of what they find in archaeology are simple, common, everyday broken jars. Well, on some level, that's what Paul is talking to us about. Not that we are simple, common, broken jars that can just be cast aside. But he is giving a little bit of insight into just how fragile we are and how fragile human life is. Paul, you know, doesn't hide that fact. Right? He says... We are fragile. And the light that shined in the darkness, guess whose who's mission and opportunity and privilege it is to share that light? Well, it's ours. It's us as fragile jars of clay. Are you feeling a little broken today? Some kid said no. Emmett said no. Because Emmett's so young. <laughs> when you're young, you're barely ever broken. You've got... You've got, you know, bones of rubber, right? How about for the rest of us? Yeah, okay. So, and that comes in multiple ways, doesn't it? Because the gift of youth, like Emmett or some of these other kids that, that can fall down repeatedly, slowly gives way to age. And you can't fall as often and things start to break and surgeries start to have to be done and aches and pains Maybe beyond that, diagnosis of disease, chronic illness. This is the stuff that plagues us every day, and that's just physically. But my guess is spiritually, emotionally, you're probably there as well. People that have hurt you, that have sinned against you, relationships that have been torn apart, families that have crumbled Chips and bumps and bruises and missing handles. That's the reality of our living. But here's the really incredible thing, everyone. God uses you with your bumps and your bruises and your chips and your broken handles. He uses you to share a message that heals broken people. Isn't that amazing? He could have chosen to use anyone and anything, but he chooses to use you your words, your actions, your life, as you share Christ and that light with a sin-darkened world. He chooses us, common jars of clay, to share an incredible message of love and forgiveness. Why did God do that? Paul tells us in our text. Let me finish up with verses 8, eight through 10. Paul says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And here he gives the purpose for us, jars of clay. 
We always carry around in our body the death of, of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. God uses the common things, the everyday things, to share something that is incredibly uncommon and that is beautiful and life-giving. The Apostle Paul knew that. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that he would have known of Genazot where the, you hide the sacred texts, right? He would have known this because he was a Pharisee, he was a Sadducee. But we start talking about Paul's ending words here. When Paul says we're hard-pressed on every side, when he says we're crushed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're abandoned, we're struck down, these are not just idle words from Paul. He knew exactly what that meant on both sides of the coin. Because remember, Paul used to be Saul and he was a Christian bounty hunter. And so who was standing over uh, the body of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, as he was stoned to death? Who was giving, giving his permission and, in fact, encouragement for this to have it happen, for Stephen to be put to death for merely um, placing his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ? The author of our text, Saul was. And, and if... If we think that when he writes these words, the death of believers, the death of Stephen, were not heavy on his shoulders and in his mind, I think we're fooling ourselves. If we think that those actions as Saul as a Pharisee didn't on some level kind of haunt him as he went forward, I think we'd be fooling ourselves. He knew exactly what it meant to be hard pressed and be crushed because he was one of the people that did it. But Paul also knew the other side because God changed his heart from darkness to light. And then he became the greatest Christian missionary that our world has ever seen. And then Paul understood those very same things from the other side of the coin as he was beaten, as he was left for dead, as he was jailed and eventually martyred for his faith. So when Paul talks about these things, this, this, um, um, these struggles in the life of a Christian, he speaks from experience. And yet, this is anything but a, a woe is me letter, is it? In fact, it's the opposite. Paul says, I understand the reality of how hard it is to live as a Christian in our world because I've done it. But he says, all of it, all of that commonness and that struggle, it all ultimately points to the beauty of the gospel and of Christ himself. we are able to share Christ more clearly, more honestly, more directly in our suffering, in our pain, and in our loss than a whole host, host of triumphs in our lives. You understand that, right? We don't pray for tough stuff to come into our lives, but when it comes, God uses the tough stuff to shine a light on the beautiful thing, Christ. And so maybe we don't pray for those difficulties. But here's the comfort Paul gives you in our text. God uses your struggles, your brokenness, your being hard-pressed. He uses all of that to shine a light on Christ and the forgiveness that not only you have and you cherish and hold dear in your heart, but to shine a light on Christ and the forgiveness that he won for us on the cross. So as you leave here today, Maybe remember that. On some level, we are just simple jars of clay. But we have a God who is incredible and magnificent. And we have a God 
who died for us as jars of clay. And you've got a message that can shine light into darkness and change lives. Amen. Thank you.